Well, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here, and uh, it's a beautiful song and a great way to kind of start this two-week series that we're in. Uh, when I started doing pastoring work, you know, a few years ago, I don't know, 15 years ago, um, I read a book by Charles Spurgeon, if you've heard of him. He's a, an old, old-timey pastor, and, and one of the chapters in his book, which was liter- it was written to future pastors, it's called Letters to My Students, there was one chapter called The Minister's Fainting Fits. Um, and it was referring to pastors having depression, those things. And I, I started reading the chapter and got a couple pages in, and I just skipped it. Honestly, I read the rest of the book. I just skipped that because I thought a Christian, a faithful Christian, isn't going to have times of depression, right? Because we're Christians. We have God. Our faith is strong enough. Why? Like, this guy, he's got a problem. And I moved on. Well, a few years later, I went back and read it because I realized I made two mistakes in my own heart and mind at that moment, and it was in my life anyway, but I I made two mistakes, and the first was that a faithful Jesus follower will never experience times of depression, right? That that we just won't go through that. Well, that was just just wrong. (laughs) The, The second mistake I made was more of a worldly mistake, and that was one where society tells us you should be happy and everything should be good all the time. Well, that's, that's also not true, right? And so in my mind, I thought, well, a Christian walking faithfully will always be joyful, peaceful, happy, all those things. Well, that's also not fair. And so I went back and I kind of read that to deal with, as I got to know people more and more, okay, let's be honest about some of these struggles that we have, some of these mental struggles, whether it be depression or, or what, what is called anxiety or fear, um, habits, all these things. There's a lot of issues in our minds. I read a book in, in college, um, and it talked about, it was, it was by a philosopher, but he talked about a, a battle of the minds, or, or it, was a, it was something put out, it was going to be the battle of the brains. It's like the battle of the brains. That means you're going to get together, and people are going like, to be throwing brains at each other? Because the brain is a physical, like the brain. He said it should have been the battle of the minds, because the brain is the physical thing in our skull, the mind is spiritual. You can't touch your mind, right? You can't dig, but they, they connect. And so part of my mistake thinking through this stuff was that there's the spirit and there's the body and they don't, you know, impact each other. Whereas when our spirit has issues, when our mind has issues, it can impact the body. We're going to be looking in, in Psalm. You can turn to Psalm 103. Um, but here we see David, and at times it's going to be on page 557 in the Bible in front of you. Psalm 103, but this is David. And at one point, David, not in this passage, but in another one, he says, my body wasted away with groaning when I kept silent about my sin, meaning our our body can be impacted by mental issues. And so modern psychology, we're not going to talk a lot about psychology um, because I'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist or get on the list. Um, But modern psychology comes from mainly a worldview of of materialism um, and and evolution, meaning denying that there's a God. Not all, absolutely. But the basic worldview is there is no God, which means all there is is the body, the brain. And so any issue, whatever, you have to just treat the physical. The issue really is we are both body and spirit, and so we must deal with, with both. And sometimes the body needs to be dealt with. Maybe that's exercise, sleep, uh, in special circumstances, medication to help work on the spiritual issues. But we can be honest and work through this. So these I- idea of like depression and some of it's kind of been a stigma in the church. Ooh, let's not talk about that. Let's not get there. Well, we are going to talk about it. Because I think there are two big tools God has given us to work through these mental 
issues. And one is realizing, honestly, we, we might just be normal. You know, the, the whole psychological world, and part of my issue too is, oh, we won't go through depression, won't go through sadness, anger, these things, is really these things are part of being human. They're, they're part of sin in our lives, but it's also part of being human to go through, the, and that's okay when we look at it and go, oh, there's something wrong with me, I need to go get fixed, or we realize, no, this is part of being human, and God wants to work through this, or work with me through this somehow, then we can have an accurate approach to what I guess we might call mental illness, which often maybe isn't an illness, it's just being human. And God has given us two big tools, I think, to help with this. Uh, so when I teach, when we do sermons, you know, I have my books, I do my studying, and normally we do a series. We've been going through 1 John. I got a couple books to go through 1 John. Well, I've read quite a few books for just two weeks. <laughs> this is one of those kind of weird series where I've done a lot of study and a lot of talking to those I would call professionals, Christians uh, who are therapists who have given me some really good feedback, or I'd study and then talk to them and say, am I seeing this rightly? And often they would say yes or, or elaborate. Um, but it was one of those who I was talking to who, who I asked as I was studying, I said, I think, I think I've landed on kind of two big answers. And I, I said, do you, being a, you know, a therapist, do you see it the same way? And they said, yeah, 80%. <laughs> so these two things, 80% of those who struggle with stuff, these two things will be the greatest tools used, and we're going to talk about just one this week. So turn to Psalm 103. Again, we're going to start in verse 15. Psalm 103, 15. David writes this. He says, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Father in heaven, I, I want to just come to you before we start looking at this and, and some other passages. Um, Holy Spirit, we need you here with us to open up our hearts. Um, God, as, as Paul already said, you're going to have some steps for us to take. I ask that you would show us what that is. Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves and, and with you. Um, open up our minds to understand what you're trying to communicate through these passages. And God, I, I'm encouraged that you, you do have hope for us. <laughs> you, you've given us what we need to, to have the abundant life. Um, doesn't mean things will always be perfect, but we can be honest as we wrestle and struggle and, and move on. Um, so we love you. We ask you to do what you want to do in us. In Jesus' name, amen. What do we see in these verses? We see an accurate view of self as human and an accurate view of God. The best thing we can do for, I would say, our mental health is to get an accurate view of God. But with it comes an accurate view of self. And what do we see here as it begins? In the grand scheme, our lives are short. Verse 15, it says, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. Right? Do you know your great-grandparents' names? Maybe your great-great-grandparents. I mean, our, our lives are pretty short in general, and then things move on and we're forgotten. And part of that's like, oh, that sounds horrible. But there's actually a lot of peace in that. When we get an accurate view that our lives are short, 
And for me, as I studied this, this is one of those, God kind of showed me, and he's shown it to me a lot of times, you're not as important as you think you are, <laughs> right? You're, you're not as significant as you, you think you are. A lot of our, our issues, right, whether it be depression, fear, whatever, is too big of a view of, of me. I think I'm too important or I deserve too much. It, it's not about me. But yet, we also see in these verses how valuable we are to God because he moves on there. In verse 17, but the steadfast love of the Lord is forever, from everlasting, from forever before and forever from now. His steadfast love is forever on who? Those who fear him. So I'm not as important as I think I am, but to God, I'm extremely important. His love and, and you, is, for all, his love is from forever. For who? For those with the right view of God, those who fear him. You know, there's a good old saying in America, oh, that's a God-fearing person. We don't really talk like that anymore. But this fear, it's not a terror. It's a right view of God, right? It's awe. Whenever in scripture somebody gets face-to-face with God, you see it, John in the book of Revelation, uh, you see Isaiah, others, what do they do? They fall on their knees. <laughs> I mean, they fall on their, that fear. Oh, I am a man of unclean lips. That is always the response when somebody sees God. That, that is fear, Right? There's some awe, there's some reverence. Do you live as if God is who he is? And so this right view of God, that we are significant, but we're not as important as we think we are. We see a couple things in these passages. One, God knows us. That, that's what we see. He sees us. It says he sees, he knows. And he cares. So he, if he sees he knows everything going on in your life, right? You might think you're alone. And I hope in these next two weeks, you'll realize not only does God know, but you're not alone. One of the things with our stuff is we think that we're uniquely bad or we're uniquely struggling. And that's, that's a, a lie from the devil. Once you share with some others, you'll realize I'm not alone in this. Others are going through it right now. Others have gone through it. That's why we do life together. So God knows. It's okay for others to know. God cares. And here's the big point. He's sovereign. He can do something about it. That's verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. God is completely sovereign over all things, so live as he is. Live as if he is. He is sovereign. That means king, the one in complete control. He is the king. And guess what? I'm not. There's a lot of freedom in that. He, it's all about him. You know, deism is a, is a belief that there's a God, God created, and then he just left. You know, he created and then kind of set the clock in motion and let it work out. What we see here is that God is reigning. He has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all, present tense. Jesus is ruling right now. He hasn't left. This is huge for us. And again, this, this first tool is this. God is all-powerful all-knowing, and loves us so we can trust him. It comes down to that kind of simple idea that he is sovereign. Ephesians 1.11 says this, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. There's a lot in that verse. I mean, that's a whole sermon right there. But what does he say? Who works all things according to the counsel of his will, meaning God does whatever he will. And nothing can stop it. Nothing can thwart it. It means this. God either causes everything or allows it. That is hard. 
I'll be honest, that is a hard truth to wrestle with. But what about this horrible thing that happened to me? What about this horrible thing that happened to my kid? Or go down the list. The truth is God is overall, meaning he either causes it or allows it to happen. He could stop anything. As we read in scripture, we see sometimes even just weather events. Sometimes weather events are caused by God. Drought, storm. Sometimes weather events are caused by Satan. Satan has the ability to do that. You see in the book of Job, right, where where God has a conversation with Satan. And this is not just a a story to teach a lesson. This idea of Job, this actually happened. They think it was probably long before Moses, but it was recorded. So Job, right, he has his children. Satan sends a wind. the, the, The house falls and kills his children. God allowed that. God didn't do it, but God allowed it. So God said, you can go this far, but no further. Meaning he's in complete control and we can trust him even in something very horrible, right? I mean, it doesn't mean everything is good, but we can trust him. He is in complete control. And he will use whatever it is for his good for those who fear him. Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. He's in control of all, and he works all things for good to those who love him. We see that also in Psalm. It's to those who fear him, those who are his. Now, the person who does not know Jesus, who has rejected Jesus as Lord and Savior, does not have this hope or confidence. They cannot because they're separate from God, and judgment is coming, and their eternity will be determined that way. It's those who believe in Jesus. It's those who confess him as Lord and Savior who are adopted into his family. It's those who have this confidence. And by the way, there isn't a, a, you know, better than others. That invitation is available to anybody, right? Anybody, if you have not surrendered to Jesus as Lord, Jesus invites you. I want to adopt you. I want you into my family. I want to give you all these good things. And so it's available to anybody. But Romans 8, 28, he works all things together for good to those who love him. Do you believe that? Let's be honest. Just take a time out. Look at your life. Look at the things you worry about, all these things, maybe the things you're scared. Do you believe he can and will work all things together for good to those who love him? It will change the way you think. It will change the way you live. One reason we lack peace is that in the midst of life's struggles, we focus on ourselves rather than on the one and only sovereign God. Isn't that true? That's the case for me. Life happens, something happens, and boom, I react in a certain way. Anger, fear, because I'm focused on me rather than first focusing on God. God, I trust you. What are you doing with this? Whatever it is. What is the opposite of fear? Right? We talk about anxiety and all these things and, and panic attack, whatever. We're talking about fear. What's the opposite of fear? It's not not fear. It's confidence, isn't it? The opposite of fear is confidence, but not confidence in me. If I have just confidence in me, that's not going to work out so well. It's confidence in God. When, uh, when our, our kids were young, one of them hit their head. I thought it was Kayla. Callie thinks it was Lydia. I don't remember. They looked the same to me. Um, but, but one of them hit their head, and, and the, you know, it was Lydia. I think it was Kayla. Um, and I remember getting the phone call, and Callie was, was afraid, and, and she's like, I'm on the way to the hospital. Meet me there. I dropped whatever I was doing. You know, it was one of those like, oh, my goodness, they're trying to keep her awake going. She hit her head hard. Oh, and, and so you run through the scenarios, right? What are all the things that could be, could happen, and I'm scared and, and just driving, and then it's like kind of this time out. 
just time out, God, you know, focus on me. And so I just started praying as driving. God, you, I believe this, right? I quote this verse to God. God, you said <laughs> all things work together. So I trust you. And, and in this time of praying, by the time I got to the hospital, I had peace. Not that the outcome would be what I wanted, but I had peace that God was in control and would work it for whatever. Oh, luckily, they're mostly okay. Um, <laughs> but, but it wasn't based on me. It wasn't based on the outcome was going to be what I wanted. I had the peace because he said he's in control, and I said, okay, I trust you. You're, if you need to change this, you can. If you have a different plan, you can. Isaiah 41.10. Love this verse. It's not going to be up here. So listen, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Man, God doesn't say, go be strong, <laughs> right? You're struggling, you wuss, go figure it out. I, I mean, that, that's my counseling. Don't come to me for counseling. Like I'm dealing with this, stop it, go be better, right? I'm not the best counselor. God's better than that. He's saying, I, I hear you and I can do this. I can strengthen you. You know, why is it when life happens, we, we wanna just fix it, right? Or, or we wallow in defeat, I mean, I hope we can have some hope. We think, I'm a victim. This is just the way I am. I'm sick. I have a disease, whatever. This happened to me, so it's their fault. This is just the way I am. God says, no. This isn't the way it has to be. I'm strong enough to deal with it, even if it's your sin that caused it. God says, I'm strong enough to deal with it. I know you. I see it. I will uphold you. I will strengthen you. It's about me, so stop looking in the mirror. Stop looking around. Look at me. Psalm 50.10 for every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. This is just poetic, saying God owns everything. It's all his, right? So why would we worry? Matthew 6, turn to this passage if you would, please. This is page 900, to make it easy on you, but Matthew 6. Because again, one of those things we talk about nowadays is, is anxiety and fear and all these things. And isn't a lot of our, our struggle in life fear? Uh, afraid of whatever might happen to us, afraid of con whatever it is. Here's what God says. Here's what Jesus says about fear in Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. And if, if this page in your Bible isn't dog-eared, dog it's okay to do that, by the way. Doggy-ear this passage. Mark this passage up. This one is huge. Matthew 6, 25. Says that, this is why I tell you, not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why do you worry about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God so wonderfully, if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that they are here tomorrow and tomorrow they're thrown into the fire, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of the unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. You know, 
I, I wish as Jesus was teaching this, he threw something else in here, right? Do not worry about what you will eat, what you will wear, what you will drink. I wish he also put in there, also don't worry about what others think of you, right? Isn't that a lot of our anxiety, a lot of our stress? What are, how are others going to view me? We got this social media, right? We're just, our lives are there in front of everybody all the time. And we worry about what others think. What if we just worried about what God thought? That would change our hearts. That would change our minds. You know, in this passage in Matthew 6, he begins with this, you know, don't be worried. Or some translations, don't be anxious. But I don't think we should focus on that. Not the don't be anxious, but focus on what we do do. We trust him. Don't, be, don't worry, I got this. So again, the focus it gets off of all these things we worry about and on to him. And what do we focus on? It's at the end there. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. That's what we do. So the answer to these issues of worry and stress is stop looking at those, stop looking at yourself, and look at God. That's this big answer. God's big enough, God's strong enough, and gosh darn it, God loves you. <laughs> right? Some of you know what that's from. And a lot of our distresses also, wouldn't they come from selfish, sinful desires? 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10 says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we shall be content. For those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Again, this passage doesn't say money's bad at all. It says the love of money. A rich person can have a love of money. A poor person can have a love of money. A rich person cannot have a love of money. A poor, it doesn't matter how much you have. The point here is be content with what you do have. That's what he's saying in 1 Timothy. Godliness with contentment is of great gain, isn't it? Let's be honest. <laughs> Just take, take a minute. Are you content with what God has given you, with your family? with your relationships, with your stuff, with your money. Godliness with contentment is of great gain. When we want more, what are we saying? We're saying, God, I don't trust that you're strong enough to give me all the things I need. Or I don't think you, you like me enough. I, I want more, I want these other things, but, but you've forgotten me. Or I deserve this because of my sin, which none of that is true. Rather, we can be content. This is where God has me and he's in complete control. I can be content with that. If anybody has gone through uh, financial distress, hopefully you've gotten through that and landed here. You know, I've shared this before, but in, in the 08, 09 crash, we experienced that. We couldn't pay our mortgage for a while. And, and I'm, okay, what's wrong with me? Right, all this focus on me until God kind of said, get over yourself, <laughs> right? It's not about you. I've promised you, right, with food and clothing, you'll be content. And you might be living under that tree. Okie doke. <laughs> he didn't give us money, at the, but he gave gave us peace. He gave me peace in these promises, right? Taking away this desire for more and just be content with what we have. Oh my goodness, there's so much peace in that. Because Psalm 93, 1, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Do you believe that? Oh, the Lord, he reigns, complete sovereign, total control. He's on his throne. He hasn't left it. He hasn't gone on vacation. 
He's on the throne. If we believe that, it changes everything for us. It changes everything when we know he is in control. You know, a lot of that is a good answer to, to fear, to what's called anxiety. But there's also some, some practical answers in this too, right? When we think of depression, that's a big thing nowadays, right? A lot of talk about depression. Sometimes that sadness is a good thing, right? Uh, somebody goes to a therapist, you know, I, I'm super sad. Well, we need to get you on medication. What if that sadness is for a real good reason? A loved one has died, right? And trying to, trying to numb that pain maybe is, is not the best thing because you're missing somebody you loved and that love is genuine and this is what should happen and God wants to work through us with that, right? So what do we do with this idea of, of depression? Again, it comes down to all this. A lot of it is, is self-focused. So how do we get over this sadness? There's kind of a simple thing. Focus on his kingdom, him, and get involved in others. When we start looking at God, which he then naturally puts our eyes on others, it kind of naturally takes care of some of those other things. Again, I don't want to oversimplify this. It's not, you know, this is the blanket, right? Sometimes we need help. We need other help. There are other ways. But when we get our eyes off of self and onto God, he will guide us and he will deal with some of those things. Do you believe, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. Let me give you a case study. If you're like, yeah, I'm not sure that's true. How about this guy named Jesus? Jesus, the son of God, the greatest evil to ever happen in the history of the world was what? Jesus being crucified on a cross. Jesus was perfect, didn't deserve it. Who killed him? The Romans put him up on the cross. The Jewish leaders were behind it. As we've seen, Satan was behind it as well. There's all these people... Right? He, he, was, he was crucified, but, and that was evil. But yet, God knew it was going to happen. God was in control from the very beginning. So yes, this great evil, and people did great evil to Jesus, the Son of God, God in flesh. And God took that and, and made the greatest good the world has ever seen. That is our method of being saved. That is how we can be forgiven, because of the greatest evil ever, the greatest good happened at the same time. What a perfect example right? God can take what is horrible and make what is wonderful and beautiful. And that's what he did in Jesus. If you struggle, what steps can you take? Right? So we talk about this and that's great. This is all in our thinking and it's true, but are there things we can practically do if we're struggling with our minds, whether it's habits, again, whether it's, it's depression, sadness, anxiety, whatever those things are, what are some steps we can take? Here's one, here's one, one to begin with, I think. Stop thinking we're a victim, right? That's kind of a popular thing nowadays. And by the way, this isn't to say you haven't been victimized. It doesn't mean to say things haven't been done to you that were horrible, that you're struggling. They have, absolutely. But when we live as a victim, meaning I am a victim of this disease, this sickness, what's done to me, then we don't get to take responsibility of what has happened to us or what is going on and find the hope that God wants to give. So we get over this idea that I'm a victim and we take responsibility for how we respond to whatever has happened to us. We take responsibility to believe that God is good and to go to him. So, so that's also in your mind. Stop thinking that we are a victim. And here's a second one. Stop thinking you're alone. Stop thinking you're unique. You're not. I mean, some of you are pretty unique. Um, but the struggles that you have, the lie that the devil will tell you can't tell anybody. Oh, they're going to reject you, right? You are so dirty. You are so wrong. Something's wrong. That's a lie. 
You start sharing that with people and you're going to go, wait, you went through that too? When I was in college, I took a, a class. It was called Authentic Manhood, you know, 30 young men. And in that, the, the, the professor asked a question early on in the semester. He said, raise your hand if you've been sexually abused. A bunch of young men, about a third of the class raised their hand. You know how freeing that was for them to go, I, I, yes. And they're like, I'm not alone. And then you could talk and wrestle. I'm not alone. Or, or habits. How many of you in this class are addicted to pornography, right? Half the hand, you know, the ones who told the truth. <laughs> but I'm not, and not permission to stay there. Okay. Now, how do we work through this? I'm not alone. And God has answers. But then we're going to give you another tool here, another application. This is on the right, right in front of you. And we, we told you at the end, um, and we're going to start doing this hopefully most Sundays, that there's next steps. God wants us to take some next steps. And here's a great next step. Taking the lie that you believe and replacing it with truth, right? Uh, so, you know, there's some of, some of psychology that is just ideas, but there are some studies on, on the mind that are scientific, you know, neural pathways, if you've ever heard of those, right? That when something happens, we respond a certain way. It trains our brain to think that way, right? To, to continue going that way. And so there are lies we tell ourselves that we have to intentionally step in and replace those lies with truth. And so this, this is right there. And this is for you to take, to, to mark which one might d describe you. But we take these lies, right? I'm, I'm going to look at just uh, number, hmm, number three. I like that one. Here's a lie. A lot of us, I have to be perfect, right? I, which, which means I can't, I can't be honest with people. I have to pretend I have to be perfect. Well, here's the answer, Right? Or the truth to that lie is Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. Meaning the response to that lie is, God cares more about my heart than my performance. So take this, look at these, but here's the big next step for a lot of us. Define your own lie. What is it you believe that's not true? And it starts with maybe where are you? Again, you can go to the mental health. What, where, where do I struggle? Is it an addiction? Is it a belief in a certain, is it fear, worry? Whatever it is, start there and then work backwards. Here's the thing I struggle with. So why do, why do I struggle with that? What, is, what, is, what am I believing? And then go to scripture and go, what is the truth? And by the way, this is where you might need some other people. Because you might go, I don't know the Bible well enough. Well, guess what? We got table groups right after and we got groups through the week. If you're part, that's where you can share. Hey, here's here's the thing I deal with. I don't know what the lie is, and we can kind of work together. And now I don't know what the truth is. And again, we can work together and look at Scripture. What is the truth? And then we actually start using things like this, right? You, you start putting it somewhere where you see it and you think about it. Here's the lie. Boop. That's a lie. Here's the truth, and I give that back to God. Now, we have a couple other next steps in there. Uh, one is begin a consistent routine of Scripture reading and prayer. Because if God is sovereign, it means we're going to him frequently. And one of the tools that we have is this. It's called the life of a Jesus follower. It's a daily devotional. It's super awesome. It's, it's super easy to get started. And these are available out there. We have extra. But this is something you can actually do. Okay, if the answer is getting a bigger view of God, that means I need to spend some time with him. This is the way to do it. Here's another book. We have about five of them out there, The Knowledge of the Holy. This book is Great, because each chapter gives you something about God. You read this book, I've read this book probably three or four times. Again, it's a small book, but you just get a bigger view of God. When you get a bigger view of God, the things you struggle with just get smaller, because that's who he is. He is the king, he is the sovereign, he loves us, he cares. Looking at him, we get smaller, our issues get smaller, 
our peace grows. Our joy grows, right? And it's okay for us to admit, to confess we struggle with some of these things. So the third next step is find a place to belong. Find a place to make a difference. And I would say today, if you are not in a group, stay for table groups. Just stay. It's only two weeks. That's an easy commitment, right? Get together. Talk through these questions that we had. There's questions already written out, so you don't have to come up with them. Stay at a table and talk. And again, there's a table for kids. We're, we're meant to do this together. Here's one of those other lies. I'm alone. I have to do this by myself. I'll be rejected if people know. No. And by the way, if you stay at group, you're not going to be told to confess anything. You know, it's going to be lighter than, than that. But relationships are huge. God has designed us to do this together. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, that you love us. <laughs> thank you that you are strong enough. Thank you that we don't have to hide. We don't have to pretend. Um, God, I do thank you for actually the, the medical advances and, and certain medications that come that, that can change certain lives for the better. Um, but I ask for discernment for those of us in here, how to take these next steps. God, what do I do? Is it okay to talk to somebody? Obviously, absolutely. But then how do we wisely move forward? Not to just get over our issues, but to get through them with you. That we can actually have peace while life is hard. We can have joy while life is messy. Not just get over it, but get through it. And that's where the, the abundant, fruitful, deep life is. And this is what you want for us. God, we love you. We trust you. Do what you would in our hearts today. In your name.